A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheimt waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kauten Schabes hat es getan. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, it is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode about the life and accomplishments and stories of Dr. Joe Kamenetsky of Torah Umasora has been generously sponsored in honor of Rabbis Tzvi Bloom, Nate Siegel, and Zev Dunner by an anonymous admirer and beneficiary of their great work. Before I get into Dr. Joe Kamenetsky, I just want to tell you to stay tuned. Don't turn this off at the end of the episode because I'm going to go uh, uh, into a what's going to be a series of ongoing dis- discussions about the uh, the results of the trivia quiz that I, that I and, and uh, Davi Safir ran in the Mishpacha magazine for the record in our column, uh, Purim time. We're gonna, I'm going to announce the winners and prizes, which you'll see, of course, in the Mishpacha magazine this week and on their website. Uh, I'm sorry, on their website. And, um, and uh, so I'll do that at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for that. Um, and this week's, speaking of Mishpacha magazine, this week's uh, for the record column in the Mishpacha magazine, um, in honor of Dr. Joe Kamenetsky's yard site, we have a column on him, uh, so check that out as well. And that's why I decided to have uh, this episode, because it's his yard site and we're writing about him. He's such a fascinating story and individual. Um, so I think it's very appropriate to talk about this uh, pioneer and really um, Jewish education hero. Um the info comes from several sources. Um, I happen to use it's all the stuff all over the place. It's literally a load of material I found online and here and there and articles. I used quite a bit, but I want to especially thank Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. He gave a fantastic class on it, and that's available on YU Torah that I listened to and had a lot of uh, very information. And he's able to give it over in such a clear and in an um, interesting way, so that I got, and also Dr. Kamenetsky's incredible memoirs itself. That's 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 for sure the best source. He wrote a memoir uh, published by Art Scroll called "Memorable Encounters." A long time ago, and about twenty five years ago, uh, it's called "Memorable Encounters: A Torah Pioneer's Glimpses of Great Men and Years of Challenge." And in fact. We were in touch with Art Scroll, and Art Scroll has offered a generous, generously offered 
a 25% discount to our listeners of Jewish History Soundbites, as well as Mishpacha Magazine readers, for the paperback edition uh, of the book, because the hardcover is sold out. And the way to get that discount, 25% discount, is very significant, is to use the code FTR2021. That's FTR for For the Record. That's the name of the column. Uh, 2021, 2021. Use it at artscroll.com, and I'm going to attach the link to that in the notes uh, to this episode. It's an incredible memoir, one of the best uh, memoirs uh, of American Jewish life of the 20th century in the religious world that's been published in a long time. Um, so it's really recommended. I loved it. I got a lot out of it, and I highly recommend it to all our listeners and readers to uh, to use this memoir. If you don't own it, then go ahead and buy it and use this code to get your discount. Um, this is going to be part of an ongoing series about both the life and stories of Dr. Joe Kamenetsky, as well as the overall history of Torah Masora and the day school movement. This is a huge topic with a lot of interesting history, exciting history. And I imagine that just the Dr. Joe Kamenetsky episodes will be a couple of episodes. This is going to be the first one. There's probably going to be at least one more. And then following that in the same series will be another few about Torah Masora and the day school movement and Dr. Joe's role in that. So if you'd like to sponsor one of those episodes or any other ones, uh, please, or lectures or anything else, please be in touch with me, Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for, uh, to take care of that. Um, to get into it a little bit, so today we take the fact, we take, we take the idea that there's Yeshiva Day Schools for granted, that there's Torah education in the United States and other places for granted. In the early 1940s, it was not taken for granted at all. There was only several day schools at all. And outside of New York City. There was, of course, several in New York City, not that there was that many there either, but there was a few there. And then there was Baltimore, Boston, Chicago, but that was it. And even in those places, it was very limited. Um, And then outside those few urban centers, there was nothing. And it was the death of orthodoxy. No one saw any future for Jewish education, for Torah education, especially for religious education. And we compare that to today, and that's the reason we take it for granted, is because today there's more than 800 of these day schools in more than uh, 35 states and provinces. And the ones who made it happen were the visionaries at the helm of Torah Masora. First of all, Rav Shraga Feibel Mendelovich, the, the visionary of, of American uh, religious life, uh, who founded Torah Masora. And then the people who he brought in, first of all, his two students, uh, Rabbi Sender Gross and Rabbi Bernard Goldenberg, and then Dr. Joe Kamenetsky, the one who he brought in, who was not directly his student, but he brought him in, he made him the educational director, and then takes over Torah Masora two years later when Rabbi Shagra Feivel Mendelovich passes away in 1948, and then for decades stands at its head and doesn't just stand, he's moving, he's going to each and every place and literally with his own two hands and sweat, uh, he made it happen and built it, you know, with all the effort and, and dedication that it needed to happen. It was a doer of, of, of par excellence, not someone who just 
talked, but literally who built it with his bare hands and, and, and inspired others to build. And he went into the communities. He didn't make it that he was building and Torah Masora was building. He convinced the communities that they're building it. And that's how he was able to do it. And he uh, stood at the head of Torah Masora till his retirement um, and uh, and then moved to Israel, actually. He lived in Sanhedrin in his later years and devoted his life to the study of Torah. <laughs> amazing, incredibly enough, that, that sort of this, this amazing doer, uh, d- when he retired, he sat and studied Torah for the rest of his life until his passing in Yerushalayim in 1999. So just a little bit about him, and that's that's um, to get an idea. He's born in Brooklyn in 1911, and his father was an immigrant from Slunim. So he has so far the the standard uh, uh, biography of the, someone who came along over in the Great Immigration, settled down in Brooklyn. Um, he's the oldest of nine children, and uh, which which played a decisive role in his life because his father eventually was was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And being that he was the the boy and the oldest in the family, nine children, and you know, in a in a working class neighborhood in Brooklyn during the Great Depression. He had to take care of his family, so his accomplishments and what he was able to grow into is all the more seen, you know, great seen in that context of of his responsibility towards his own family. Um, he first attended public school, um, but his parents, who were staunchly religious Jews, in fact, he fondly recalled the Simchas Torah celebrations that he would attend at the Monastritcher Rebbe in Brownsville. Um, again, so the one of the earliest rebbes in the Hasidic Rebbe's in the United States, and um, he he uh, he later would have fond memories of that. He he was a real character, Doctor Joe Kavnetsky. Real, you know, he sounded like he was from Brooklyn, and he had a charisma and a personality. Uh, he had a great sense of humor. He also you see in the pictures that his, the pipe was uh, always in his mouth. He had that very di- distinct look, and I thought it added a lot the way that he looked so classy with. With uh, the pipe in his mouth, and and uh, you know, it just gives gives a certain look for sure. At that time, I remember when I read when I first read um, the rise and fall of the Third Reich by William Shearer, the great uh, reporter and historian for CBS. And and I you know, when I read the book, and I said, this guy for sure had a pipe. He was for sure a pipe smoker. And I was so excited when I looked him up online, and I saw a picture of him, and I saw him in suspenders and with a pipe, and that's exactly how I imagined him. So. Dr. Kamenetsky also, you have to, he has to be with a pipe. And, you know, if you think about him, how, when, you know, some of the great leaders, if sure in the Hasidic movement, the Baal Shem Tov smoked a pipe, and later Rebbe smoked cigars. The guy Rebbe smoked a cigar. But either way, so he looked great with a pipe. That's the point. I don't know how I got it, I guess, sidetracked again. Um, uh, I'm not condoning smoking with a pipe, by the way, and just uh, talking about it in history. Uh, uh, but his father, Getting back to his education, uh, he didn't want him to be in a public school. So, what did he do to that his son should attend one of the only, one of the only yeshivas, one of the only yeshiva day schools that existed in the United States at the time was Chaim Berlin in nearby Brownsville. They lived in East New York, and what did his father do that his children should attend yeshiva? He sold his home, right? And today. I mean, it's to hear something like that. He sold his home in order for his children to attend. So that's the home that that uh, that Joseph Kamenetsky grows up in. 
when he attends Chaim Berlin. He moved to Brownsville, where it was, the elementary school. And uh, he slowly goes into Jewish education himself at a young age, on a volunteer basis. The first thing he does is that he hosts Shabbos afternoon youth groups at the Young Israel of Brownsville. Um, and he's part of the Jewish scene, and you know that we spoke about it in the Mafia episode, um, Murder Incorporated, the Jewish gangsters lived in Brownsville at the time. And on Shabbos afternoon, one of the one of the uh, activities that he would do with his young charges would uh, 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 Kamenetsky would would go over to Pitkin Avenue, where the main thoroughfare, and they would try to find bullet holes from uh, in the walls there, uh, the uh, um, in the in the, to see what what the gangsters had been doing uh, the, the night before or the previous days. He goes to Yeshiva High School in TA. In, in New York, and then he joins the first class of Yeshiva College. So he's getting a strong Yeshiva education straight through. In 1928, the first class of Yeshiva College opens up, and, um, and he got, in, uh, and, and luckily he was able to get a stipend from the Yeshiva, which helped him because at this point his father wasn't really able to work because of his Parkinson's. And he becomes very close with Dr. Revel, the head of Yeshiva College, Dr. Bernard Revel. Um, and uh, and, uh, and and he says that he relates in his memoir about how Dr. Revel uh, saw him uh, that he's a future Jewish leader. And I'm quoting from the memoir, from that book that you're all going to buy if you don't have it yet after this episode. Uh, I soon began to feel that Dr. Revel looked upon me as an astute observer of the Jewish scene and seemed to recognize a spark of leadership ability in me. As a matter of fact, my feelings were confirmed when he called me into his office one day to inform me that the yeshiva was bringing from Russia an Ilui, a genius, a young Talmud Chacham named Chaim Zimmerman. He wanted me to befriend the young genius and Americanize him. So he becomes friends with Chaim Zimmerman. He says Dr. Grevel would, would, would always greet them warmly. He was a, he looked at him as a true exemplar of what the yeshiva's credo, uh, was, a harmonization of Torah, learning, and and uh, and of general studies as well. Um, so that he, uh, he became very close with Dr. Revel. He was also, the young Joe Kamenetsky was also very active in Hapoel HaMizrahi, in, the, that's, in that Zionist group. And he became eventually, later on, a national vice president of Hapoel HaMizrahi. And he remained so in, in, in that capacity when Rav Sharga Feivel hired him to be the head of Torah Masora, tapped him to become in charge. And he was always impressed with that, that Rav Sharga Feivel saw him, who was the, the, one of the heads of Hapoel HaMizrahi. He was, a, he was also a Yeshiva College graduate. He was also a, a, got a doctorate from Columbia University in education. And here, Rav Shagafayvel has him lead and head Torah Masaru. And then, and one of the themes of the book and the themes of Dr. Joe Kamenetsky's life is that straddling two worlds. And Rav Shagafayvel enabled him to do that, to be able to come into the world of Torah Masora. And he talks about the challenges, about how he, the opposition that he, that Dr. Joe Kamenetsky, he talks about how he faced, um, you know, from people in both worlds. So which world are you in? And, you know, even though the worlds weren't as sharply defined in those days, and he sometimes talked about with nostalgia about how you were able to live in both worlds at that time and ideological, uh, differences didn't, didn't weren't so sharply uh, definitive in, at that time as to uh, 
as to spit one one out from the other, and you're able to straddle both, you're able to be in both communities. But on the other hand, he also talked about the challenges, about how, you know, uh, you know, on one hand, you are a, a someone who's part of the world of Yeshiva University, uh, Columbia graduate, uh, uh, Paul Hamizrahi. On the other hand, you're in Torah Masora. You're a part of that world, and, and you're close with the great Gedele Yisrael, the great Torah leaders of that world. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, and how do you manage that? And he was able to do so. And he literally was able to be that. And that was his success. That was able, his accomplishment to be able to get along with, with uh, all sides and, and uh, out of his great love uh, for the Jewish people and uh, his vision of Torah education, which was something that crossed all party lines. Um, he eventually, uh, he, one of his teachers at Yeshiva College was Rabbi Leo Jung, a great, uh, great, originally German uh, rabbi and then the rabbi of the Manhattan Jewish Center, um, and a great uh, leader, underappreciated, someone who we also have to do uh, an episode or two on in his his involvement in the joint and his involvement in Torah education and rabbinic leadership in the early years in in America, and uh, when um, and 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 the young Joe Kamenetsky would 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 accompany uh, Rabbi Jung uh, uh, to the subway after his classes, and he mentioned to him how he's struggling financially with his family, with his father who's ill, and Rabbi Jung who wanted to help him hires him as a tutor for his daughters, which helped to provide him for some uh, sort of supplementary income at the time. So he, And then he later on becomes an assistant to Rabbi Jung at the Jewish Center. Um, so he's assistant to, at a, already in a rabbinical position. He, he got his doctorate at Columbia, like I mentioned, and he also gets smicha, not from Yeshiva College. He said it was too rigorous and he was involved in too many things taking care of his family at the time, but he got private smicha, um, I wasn't able to find out from which rabbi it was. Uh, so while he's at Yeshiva at Yeshiva College, there was no yet there was not yet a Musar Seder in the Yeshiva. So there was a private Mesilas Yesharim Chabura that he was a part of, that the one who delivered the classes was the Rabbi Yaakov Yesef Herman of All for the Boss fame. And the members of that Chabura included Rabbi Victor Miller, Rabbi Yehuda Davis, Rabbi Mordechai Gifter, Rabbi Nassim Vachtfeigel, some of the who's who of American Jewish life over the next half a century of the, of, of, of the leadership in religious Jewish life. And of course, Dr. Joe Kamenetsky fits right in there. Uh, Rabbi Mordechai Gifter remained a close friend of his throughout his life. Um, and one of the, he had some amazing inspiration. He discusses in the book, in the memoir, about who his primary people who inspired him. And one of those was Rabbi Isaac Sher. Rabbi Isaac Sher was the Slabatka Rosh Yeshiva, and he was a fundraising in the United States at the time for the Slabatki Yeshiva. And he, and this Chabura that he, uh, he was associated with in Yeshiva College, all those boys that I mentioned, who later became great Torah leaders, they went to Rabbi Isaac Sher to hear his Musr Shmuzin, to hear Musr Vadim, to hear Musr classes, to, to speak to him on an individual basis. And since Rabbi Isaac Sher remained in the United States for such a long time at that time, so the, he, uh, they actually got very close with him. So his main teachers and inspiration, his mentors, his influences, were Rabbi Liu Jung, uh, Rabbi Isaac Sher, the Slobatka Rosh Yeshiva, later on Rav Soloveitchik, who he became very close with and also was very uh, very much a student of his writings, um, and Rav Shraga Faival Mendelovich, who brought him into Torah Messiah. So he had a relationship with anyone and everyone on the Jewish scene, but the primary, and that's the primary focus of his memoir, but the primary uh, influencers that he had were those four, and it's really uh, an amazing uh, diversity there, 
and uh, closeness that he had with these people. Um, so we got up to uh, his his arriving in Torah Masora, and we'll continue with his role in Torah. We talk, talk about his early life, and we'll talk about his uh, involvement in Torah Masora and what his accomplishments were there um, in part two, which hopefully be soon to so be in touch with me about a sponsorship about that. Um, I'd like to move on at this point from, going to get to part two, don't worry, there's a lot more to say, and, and there's a lot of great stories and about his life and his accomplishments and what he's able to build with Torah Masora and his interactions that he had with the great uh, Gedele Yisrael and so many stories that he related there. We're going to get to part two, don't worry, and um, uh, and hopefully soon. Uh, and uh, and now I want to just devote a few minutes to talk a little bit about analysis about the trivia quiz. We ran a, we have a for the Davi Safir and I have a for the record, as you all know, a for the record uh, Jewish history column in Mishpacha magazine. And in honor of Purim, we ran a a uh, a trivia quiz for the record trivia quiz. And results are available on mishpacha.com. And the winners. Uh, which are also going to be are announced on mishpacha.com, and I'm also uh, announcing them um, uh, here. Um, each winner will receive their choice, either a $150 Amazon gift card or a private walking tour in Yerushalayim with a phenomenal uh, tour guide of Jewish history, Yehuda Geber, uh, if I may say so myself. And um, um, uh, I guess modesty is not one of my strong traits. But uh, we'll agree upon a date whenever you can get here, and um, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll be able to do that. So you can choose either the Amazon gift card uh, or a uh, a private walking tour with me whenever we uh, talk. So you can be in touch with me about that. And here are the four winners: um, Duvi Freed of Muncie, New York; Avram Bain of Clifton, New Jersey; Menasha Silber of Brooklyn, New York; and Avrami Hoffman of Southfield, Michigan. So for the full results of the quiz are available at mishpacha.com. And I want to acknowledge that it was a bit more difficult than we anticipated. Um, we planned it, I guess, uh, you know, we have to do this more often to get more of a feel for it. Uh, I was speaking to, I got a phone call the other day from uh, some boys in a Mir Yeshiva, Yushlaim uh, Dira. They're in, and they're students at the Mir Yeshiva, single boys. And they told me that they were all successful at the quiz. They did well. They weren't able to submit their answers because they don't have internet access in, in the Mir. They're good boys. And they told me they all got in the 80s, 90s. So I said, yeah, you did uh, much better than the average. The average was a little lower than we expected. It was uh, seemed to have been difficult. So I guess the Mir boys, they know how to do it. It's unfortunately, they weren't able to officially submit it to the website because they would have upped the, uh, upped the average a bit. Um, but I, I want to emphasize, just to, to clarify a few things, um, that it wasn't just a Jewish history quiz. It was in honor of Purim. And it was supposed to be some funny questions, which were not so really so serious. Uh, lots of people, to judge from the feedback and all the kvetching we got, uh, took it very seriously, perhaps a bit too seriously, uh, and it was overlooked that it was also in, in the spirit of Purim. Uh, so some of the questions were supposed to be more humorous than than uh, than actually a serious uh, history question. Uh, at least one question I'll, I'll acknowledge was unfair. There's no way anyone should have known a random and completely useless piece of information as the fact that Alaskan Airlines were the ones that flew the Yemenite Jews over in Operation Magic Carpet. So, uh, okay, I guess, uh, you know, we have to avoid questions like that in the future, or we can still have useless and random questions. Why not? Uh, one of the big kvetches that I got uh, from the feedback was the breakdown of the questions and the fact that there was a bit of a lack of diversity. So here's the actual breakdown. I think there was some diversity there. 
There were seven questions that were related to the Hasidic movement, two questions related to the Sephardic world, one to the Hungarian uh, Jewry, one to the State of Israel, two to Judaism in the United States, and then there were 17, the remaining 17, so that that's the majority, on the rabbinic slash yeshiva slash Lithuanian world. So there, that, there was a definitely bias in that regard. Um, all of them, all the questions, all 30 questions were limited to the last couple of centuries for the simple reason that it's the theme of the uh, For the Record column, and it's the theme primarily of Jewish history soundbites, and it's the focus of my own research. So just naturally, that's where I went. Also, the nature of trivia, and also the theme of the column, of the For the Record column, in the Mishpacha magazine, lends itself to more of a micro rather than broad trends in Jewish histories. So there was no broad and macro and overview questions in there. They're all nitty-gritty uh, uh, micro questions. Uh, th- those are the ones that were chosen consciously for the trivia because I felt like it was uh, it was more fun. It was in honor of Purim. It was more more the style and the theme of the column than broader questions. Um, there weren't any questions relating to uh, women in Jewish history. That was a bit of an oversight. I guess next time we'll have that. So there were, that was, that's the general breakdown. I want to get, um, and uh, I want to get to a couple of the questions just to analyze. I'm going to do this in the next couple of episodes at well. Each episode in the next couple of weeks, I'll analyze a few of the questions. Question number one was, which one of these gedolim were born in America, in the United States? And the, A was Rav Chaim Pichas Scheinberg, B, Rav Gedalia Shor, C, Rav Mordechai Gifter, and D, all of the above. The correct answer is C, Rabbi Mordechai Gifter, who was born in Virginia. And uh, the reason, uh, the, the, the reason that, that uh, it was a, you know, it was a good challenging question is because, um, all three of those are perceived to have been early great Torah leaders on the American Jewish scene, on the American yeshiva scene. Uh, Rabbi Chaim Scheinberg came as a young child and Rabbi Gadali Shor both came as a young child. They immigrated with their families from, uh, from Poland, from Russia. Uh, so they were not born in America, but they were raised there, and they went to yeshiva there. Uh, they went to Taravidas, and Rechaim B'chashamrik later continued with Reb David Leibowitz, and New Haven yeshiva, and other places. And then he went to the Mir in Poland, and Gedali Shor studied for a short time in Kletsk, in, in, in pre-war uh, um, uh, Kletsk. Um, so, and Mordechai Gifter, of course, studied in Tells, in pre-war Tells, but he uh, grew up in Virginia and went to Rebbein Yitzchokhan and Yeshiva College, uh, so he was he was really born in America. The second question was, which one of these generational Torah leaders grew up in a Hasidic home? Another trick questions. Uh, uh, a, Rabbi Nachman Mendel Morgenstern, the Kutzker. B, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev. C, Rabbi Tzadok of Lublin. And D, the Stipler. Now, even if you didn't know, you could have guessed because there's the, 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 it's a trick question. And the answer is the Stipler. D, uh, the Stipler who is known as a Litvish non-Hasidic a Torah leader, he was the one born into Hasidic home. Whereas the other three, who were known as Hasidic leaders, were born into non-Hasidic homes and converted. And they later on, you know, they moved over to uh, the Hasidic movement. Um, so that's, that's you know, Menachem Mendel Morgan, the Kutzker, an early stage, Levius Kwerdichev, was born into a rabbinic home, and Reb Tzadik, uh, was more famous, he, he was born into a very Litvisha home, and uh, aristocratic, uh, rabbinic Litvish home, and then became uh, Ishbitz. Um, the stipler, on the other hand, was born in Horna Stipel, and his father was a follower, or follower of 
of Reb Mordechai Dov of Harnestipel, Reb Mordechai Dov of Tversky of the Chernobyl dynasty uh, of Harnestipel. And then later uh, he goes to Navardic, and uh, because he studies at Navardic, the rest is history. So that's, uh, that's, that's the answer there. Uh, number three was which one of these Gedolim followed the, the same surname as his father? A. Rav Aaron Cutler, B. Rav Leib Gerwitz, C. The Tzemach Tedek, D. Rav Moshe Feinstein, the correct answer is D. Rav Moshe Feinstein, um, and the other three had changed their names. Rav Tzemach Tedek changed his name to, Schne- to, to Schneerson, his father's uh, name was not Schneerson, and, and, um, and the first two changed because of crossing borders and drafts. It was a common thing in those days, especially because of the army draft in Russia, for people to change their name, they're part of another family, they're not the only child, and name changing from the father's name, especially since in the Russian Empire, name change, uh, uh, surnames, last names, were not institutionalized till a much later stage. So, so your last name wasn't very significant, it wasn't very important in legal documents till much later, and therefore name changing uh, was very, very common. Um, and Rav Moshe Feinstein did carry the same name as his um, uh, father. Uh, so that's that's three questions. We'll get into more next time. And of course, we're going to get to part two about Dr. Joe Kamenetsky and Tara Masara. Please be in touch with me about sponsorships. This was Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, uh, sponsorships, uh, lectures, and anything else. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at Soundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.